based on what I've seen, based on my own personal experiences, based on thousands of kids, I believe transformation is possible. I believe it happens because we know the most important factors and truths, I call them sometimes, based on the reality of the metrics and what that child shows us. And then I know that those metrics designed on paper and a plan are worthless unless there's somebody that comes alongside and picks that up and makes a decision that they're going to impact the life of another human being by delivering that with love and compassion and creating safety and connection for that child who needs it. Want to truly be the best parent you can be and help your child thrive after their autism diagnosis? This podcast is for all in parents like you who know more is possible for your child. With each episode, we reveal a secret that empowers you to be the parent your child needs now, saving you time, energy, and money, and helping you focus on what truly matters most, your child. I'm Cass. And I'm Len. Welcome to Autism Parenting Secrets. Hello and welcome to Autism Parenting Secrets. It's Len and with me today is Amy O'Dell. She is on a quest to change the way the world addresses neurobiological delays and disorders. She's a fierce proponent of the methodology that she pioneered. It's called the Interpersonal Whole Brain Model of Care. And it harnesses the extraordinary ability of the brain to heal and develop new capacity at any age. Her refusal to accept conventional medical wisdom regarding the limitations or the so-called limitations of her beloved son's future drove her to build upon her therapy and counseling background to extensively study neurobiological and relational interventions to found Jacob's Ladder. It's a nonprofit school and research center and a HAVA, which is a digital platform for human flourishing. So her work has led to countless stories of transformation in the lives of the most vulnerable. And so I'm really excited to have Amy here with me to have this conversation. And the secret for today is science plus love equals transformation. Welcome, Amy. Thank you so much, Lynn. I'm so happy to be here. Thanks for the invitation. Absolutely. Your message and what you're putting out there is so aligned to what this podcast is all about. And uh, so I gave your overall you know, background with the school being, I know, a real key area of focus and such a unique, amazing place. When Cass and I, early on, our son was diagnosed, we were dreaming of a place like you created. And so mm-hmm. I'd love for you to talk, give whatever background you'd like, but would love to dive right into Jacob's Ladder and what makes that so unique. Oh, thank you for the opportunity to talk about that. It's my uh, it's my life's work and my love, and and uh, it's named for my son Jacob. Um, he is now 28 years old, Lynn. But uh, when I started my journey with him and trying to really unravel the mystery of how to create strength in the midst of struggle, you know, at, at the time, and I think this applies to every single family. Um, that has a child that's struggling in some capacity, you know, is that you, you had one set of expectations and then you're met with a different reality. And then we all as parents have to find our way 
through that and and hopefully to do that with great strength and um, fortitude and 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 a forward looking um, approach. And for me, when I think back to the time when um, Jacob got an early diagnosis, even a complicated pregnancy and uh, first few years of his life, um, I can think back on those days and just think, wow, I remember holding a lot of fear and uncertainty. And um, so for me, kind of step one was how do I individually work through my own fear and uncertainty so that I don't feel consumed by it or paralyzed by it? And if you're not in those shoes, I think it's very hard for other people to understand that um, because you know, and we all have, even in this community of kids with neurobiological delays, whether it's autism or classic PDD or a brain injury, I mean, whatever the case may be, each one of our children is unique and, and so different. And even our own individual journeys within this community are so different. But at least we have a common thread. You know, I can look in your eyes. I can look into the eyes of another and, and recognize something uh, that's common in our process. And um, so I just remember kind of step one for me in the journey of Jacob's ladder mm. with an early diagnosis was, wow, I didn't expect this level of, of internal fear. Um, and it became about, and then I realized the amount of energy, my own personal energy that I was extending in a fear response. And one day I woke up and I thought, you know what, I'm I'm getting up every day and I'm literally doing the best that I can here. But I then recognized a lot of my internal resources, my my mind, my body, my spirit were going into uh, worry and fear rather than harnessing that and mindfully and intentionally putting into something meaningful that would be a direction forward. And so once I had that realization, I wish I could say it was an upward trajectory from there with very little fear, but that would not be true. I did better, but every day was a battle of my mind and my spirit to, to not fall back into all the what ifs. You know, what if, what if he never does this? What if he never speaks? What if he never walks? What if he never learns how to do this, that, or the other? And those are real. I mean, those are real heart-driven uh, questions. I would say questions of the soul, even when you're in that place with your your child who you love more than life, and 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 you have a lot of unanswered unanswered questions. And so, from an early time when he was two, two and a half years old. Um, I really, and he he was this complicated little picture of, I mean, he he had a PDD diagnosis that was 28 years ago, right? And that's that, that's where we had the yeah. the, the catch-all category. Yeah, the catch-all, the catch-all with no known cause. And uh and for Jacob, I mean, when I think back, he had such a complex set of needs and challenges. Um, but he also had a very profound set of beautiful strengths. And it became this balance of how do I pull forward the absolute best that I see in this child's eyes every day um, and trust that with all that I am, while I also acknowledge the truth of the struggle 
which is such a delicate balance, right? Because sometimes we either fall all the way on the side of, oh, everything's fine, everything's fine, I'm just going to, you know, or we go all the way to the other polar opposite end and go, gosh, everything's broken, everything's, everything's uh, you know, difficult and not as it should be. And then that feels unacceptable. And so I think a, a big part of the journey is how do you find your, your middle point, your balance point in how do I acknowledge the truth and the reality of what I see every day, both in the struggle, but in the, in the beauty too, because both exist simultaneously. So I say that to say that our days became, our days, mine and Jacob's became, from the moment we woke up to the moment we went to bed for many, many years, it was really like, how do we spend the moments of the day so that as this little neurological system is is being formed and wired and connections are being made, um, how do we spend the moments of the day to lead that wiring process and that elaboration process within the brain? How do we, how do we lead that in the direction that gives him the most full life possible? A life of fullness, which really just means, gosh, in every way, shape and form, his personal relationships, his ability to express his wants, needs, desires, hopes, dreams, uh, his ability to play a sport, if that's what he chooses. I mean, whatever it is, learn to drive, all those things, hold the job. Um, so the moments of the day for me now in the work for every child that I've seen since then, which has been thousands and thousands of, of kids and, and teens and young adults, it's really the same passion that I have in my heart about that because every single child, teen, young adult that I've ever met is their own unique design. And when we talk about, let's say, an autism diagnosis, you know, what the question about, well, what do you do? What is autism? What is the cause? What is the best methodology? What's best practices? I would say my part in that conversation is to say there's not really one answer to that. It, the answer is really based on that one human being that's presenting in one specific and special way. And I think our job as a society, as parents, as healthcare professionals, as educators, you know, my hope and dream would be that we would back up and say, how do we really understand people for who they are as human beings first? Um, I, you could we could have the same conversation about people who don't have a profound diagnosis uh, or a neurobiological delay. If you talk to someone who's going through a battle with Crohn's disease or some inflamed uh, digestive system, uh, I would have the same conversation because the reasons behind their struggle are unique to them and all of their unique factors. But for the person who's trying to move themselves through that, it is a complex and tough reality and a painful one. But, but I believe that body can heal from the inside out, just as I believe that our children um, who are faced with some of these unique diagnoses can also begin a healing process from the inside out. And so, you know, if you fast forward through my journey with Jacob, and this might be hard for some people to understand or to believe, but I feel like my calling really was when I was in those moments with him, it was really just about him. But every year that passed, it became, it became about a bigger picture, 
about how to understand first the human condition, how we're also uniquely wired and what our value and worth is just as a person because we're here. But then uh, when the struggles are real, then then what is it that we do to fully and deeply understand the struggle? Not just slap a label on it, not just say, well, if you just go do this, it's going to get better. But really to pause and stop and kind of get off of that perpetual hamster wheel of all things, you know, Oh yeah. Uh, pause and stop and just uh, really dissect it deeply. And I use the word dissect just to say the layers, you know, the layers that there's a spirit. And that's really what the IWBMC is, the interpersonal whole brain model of care is an acknowledgement, which is really what Jacob's Ladder utilizes on a day-to-day basis, is the acknowledgement of an inner spirit of a child or, or a, a teen, young adult, whomever. And then it's about what are the true neurodevelopmental and neurobiological truths. Um, and those, you know, in our model of care, there's like 400, 475 things that we look at there. And for every person that I've ever seen, those are different and unique which is why the path forward for one person is different than a path forward for another person. And uh, so my deepest passion is around that understanding and then, and then hopefully influencing the conversation in a bigger capacity, just so that, like I said earlier, educators, healthcare professionals, parents, um, that we pause and really first try to understand the unique person that's in front of us and then find a way forward. Yeah, no, I, I, I love what you're saying. And it's so true. It's, it's, we're all unique as fingerprints or as snowflakes, whatever analogy you want to use, but it is true. And, and I think what you've created with this interpersonal whole brain model of care and, and feel free to dive deeper into that to help a listener, our listeners understand it more. But my sense is it's the opposite, polar opposite of the standard of care, because applying a standard to these kids, it may be well-intentioned, but the uniqueness is so profound that there's there can't be a standard of care that works, uh, something that's appropriate for all kids. And even if something might be useful to all kids, from a timing standpoint, what what can what to do first and then next and what's what's going to be helpful for this particular child will vary wildly. That's right. And and you know, when over the years, and I would say over 30 years of work in the in I say in the field, but it's actually my my life, my personal work, my family, my, you know, it's uh it's really been about that, but then all the people that I've met in in the journey. Um, interpersonal whole brain model of care. It's funny you use the word standard because one of the things that I believe so strongly is that, you know, the possibility of transformation really lies between this union of what science has to bear in combination with love and compassion for the person that we're interfacing with. And if you just approach it with love and compassion, which is the most beautiful thing ever, but you don't really have a solid plan, then you have a, you, you have a lot of power because most of the power is in that relationship that you form with another person and their sense of safety and their sense of having someone walk alongside them. But I often say to my own team, the reason that the science part is so important is like one example that I give is for my son, Jacob, who also had a diagnosis of cortical visual impairment. 
uh, that was quite significant. I could sit with him and love him and create safety for him all day long, but it wasn't until I understood how to actually stimulate the visual pathway from white messages coming in through the retina of the eye to being processed in the visual cortex, I had to do so much work in that way to make his vision stronger. And, and so really the, 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 the power then became, how do I take principles of neuroplasticity and how do I make a very solid plan based on all the unique parameters that make him who he is, but then deliver that type of care in such a, a loving, compassionate, partnering, but I'm leading you forward since, you know, that uh, that the best of both worlds is really there. And so when you say standard, one of the things that's been incredibly important to me is to try to create, which is really what my hope is for the interpersonal whole brain model of care, which to go through the rings of that, like there's an image of that model and it's these interlocking rings. And um, at the very core of the model, there's, there's a little heart there and the heart's there intentionally because that is the recognition that we all have this, this core spirit or will within us. And it's that will that you have to tap into if you're wanting to help someone take the next step forward who's struggling mightily then you better always be acknowledging that they have their own inner inner will to uh, to walk the walk and how you connect with that part of them matters a whole lot. And then the next ring would be the neurodevelopmental aspects. And what we do here is we run QEG assessments on all the kids that we see that gives us, uh, takes raw EEG data and then maps it into something that we can really, we can see so much information from this uh, about the electrical activity in the brain and what's maybe hyper-responsive, what's hypo-responsive. If something in the brain is, is, for instance, very hyper-responsive in high, tight little frequencies within the brain, like the beta waves, a kid's going to be very anxious, uh, full of anxiety, need a lot of movement. Mm-hmm. And I, I give that one example just to say if the model of care or the standard of care was strictly a behavioral approach for a child that had super high anxiety or very high drive or need for physical movement, and we didn't acknowledge that that little brain was on overdrive, but we only approached it behaviorally, we've really done a disservice because we haven't even understood the root driver of the anxiety or the need for constant movement. And so we go through this analysis for every single child. And, and one of the things I've found especially true in, in, in an autism diagnosis is that it's critical to understand the overconnectivity patterns and the underconnectivity patterns in the brain. So like sight to sight within the brain, as we all know, if we, we, we are a, a parent of a child with autism, there are patterns that become very ingrained and perseverative and it's hard to transition. And maybe there's a little OCD tendency and we like what we like, but we don't like what we don't like. And it's hard to marry those two things up. And when you look at the maps of kids who have those types of tendencies, you can really see where certain areas have become like overly communicative and, and locked is what we say, but which then starves out blood flow and cognitive energy 
for another area of the brain, like personal relationship or big picture thinking or, you know, things like that. And so, so from a neurodevelopmental standpoint, which is where I would say the science part of the science love equation is, is you take a QEG, you go through 474 metrics so that you can understand how someone's wired put together, what their movement patterns are, what the auditory visual processing, it looks like all those types of things. And, uh, and then you understand how they are as learners. We believe everyone can learn, everyone can move forward, but not just because we put a standard curriculum in front of them, but because we build a curriculum for them based on how they're actually going to learn and be successful. Mm-hmm. And when you pause long enough to do that, I mean, that's the kind of stuff that just lights my heart on fire because um, you can, you know, again, man, sometimes we just run the race and we run it so fast, like a hamster on a hamster wheel. That's the image that always comes into my mind. And sometimes if we can just step off for a little while, and give ourselves permission, you know, as parents or professionals to pause, reflect, and maybe look for the roots, you know, the root causes of things and understand the root cause so that how we spend the energy of the day is actually a reflection of what's needed for whatever the root challenge is, because that's where the transformation is. Lynn, in my book, it's like, don't just put out a don't just put out a, a, a model or, or, or a standard of care because somebody else, you know, said so or because it worked for some group of kids. It's like, wow, if we all just looked at the one kid, you know, the one kid in front of us and we understood that one kid, how do we create success for, success for that one kid? And then we learn on the patterns of growth and development and transformation based on, if you want to speak scientifically, based on the data the data of their success, right? And, and, and then you see the patterns of what caused the most growth and change. And then you can apply that to the next 10,000 kids you meet because you've done the work to understand the root. And, uh, and so just to finish out the IWBMC, after you've looked at neurodevelopmental and learning style, we, we pay a lot of attention to emotional behavior relational because like on campus at Jacob's Ladder, we have a, a school that we've called the Hope School. It's it's under the Jacob's Ladder umbrella. And it's for kids. And and I think we this is on the uprise as 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 far as I can tell by my reading and research, these kids that are potentially on the autism spectrum, some have been diagnosed, some have not been diagnosed, but super high levels of anxiety, high levels of dysregulation. Cognitively, they are uh, about where they need to be in terms of academic performance and language function. But socially, emotionally, and relationally, they're struggling mightily to find a way to fit in, to deal with their own anger, to deal with their own internal anxiety, to deal with some mood dysregulation. And so when they're in typical school settings, it tends to unravel. And when it unravels, it doesn't just unravel a little bit. It's like it really unravels. And then you're trying to put help this child just put these pieces back together to take a step forward. And so what we decided to do here at Jacob's Ladder is build a model of care, build a school called a Hope School that acknowledges that cognitively we got a lot of strength. So maybe academics needs to take a back seat for a couple of years. Not the priority. Not the priority, man, because I don't care how smart you are. You go out into the world and you're feeling like these kids are feeling. It won't matter that they're great at math. It won't matter how great they write. It's going to matter can they wake up in the morning 
and want to be here? You know, can they wake up in the morning and just say, gosh, I'm glad to wake up again and start my day and I've got purpose and I've got meaning and I know how to walk out what's before me today. And, and for most of them that we've served, it's really tough to do that. But what I've seen, and I love this so much, is, uh, you know, as complex as some of those issues have seemed, some of the diagnoses might be oppositional defiant disorder, even conduct disorder, mood dysregulation disorder, uh, autism spectrum disorder, high functioning, but with emotional dysregulation, executive functioning disorder, those kind of things. So whatever the mixture is of whatever people call those things, still at the end of the, the day, there's one little human being there that has their own set of realities. And if we pause to understand the realities and build a plan that that day they wake up and they work that plan, you start to see that process of the anxiety. It's almost like the brain gives itself permission to bring that level down a little bit because the environment starts to feel safe and they start to form meaningful relationship. And because the day is not about pushing the academic outward performance, but but really the emphasis is on building inner performance. Uh, it's it's about inner. It, it's the inner qualities that that really are only built in relationship with other people. That's how you learn. That's how mirror neurons are 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 brought to bear in the brain. You know, mirror neurons meaning I'm going to learn because I just watched you do it, and I feel safe enough to maybe give that a shot. So my brain lights up, and my neuro, mirror neurons teach me something knew that I didn't have before. But here's the catch the catch in that is is if if the anxiety center in the brain is firing off rapidly constantly, those other aspects of the brain, such as the mirror neurons or the little limbic center that tells you if you're safe or if you're at risk, those areas can't do their job because all the cognitive energy is going over here. It's really the right prefrontal lobe. It's, it lights up on these brain maps that we've seen. And so job number one for a child like that who's got high dysregulation emotionally is, uh, for me, I say stop worrying about academics for a little while. Not forever, but, 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 but and, and don't drop the goals altogether. We all, we have academic goals for our hope schoolers. But priority number one is, can we help the system calm down? Can we help this learner have access to the whole brain rather than just the anxiety center? And um, and I've seen kids, it's been absolutely amazing to see science plus love equal transformation. I mean, it's been amazing to see that, what transformation looks like for, 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 for each person in their individual um, makeup, the way that they've been designed. That's fantastic. My, my neck hurts because I've been nodding like crazy <laughs> the entire time that you've been talking. So many, so many points that you made are, are, are very, very powerful. And, but uh, taking a step back, I'm mindful that really the overarching concept that you started with and that you just ended with it. And this is something that I fervently believe as well. It comes down to energy management first for the parent or is your energy going towards what's going to be useful for you and your child? Because if you're spending, spending all your valuable limited energy on worrying about the future or guilt about the past, then you can't bring your best self. And every parent we've ever talked to, coached, our listeners, 
everyone shares the desire to be the best parent they can be. But you're kidding yourself if you think you're doing that and you're wasting all this energy on just things that don't help right now. So it's energy management for the parent. And then you're referring to for the child because of their unique where they are right now, that there may be areas that they're expending energy in a loop, in a repetitive type way that's preventing them from ultimately being present to be able to learn, to be able to to communicate and socialize. And so sure, academics is important, but from a sequencing perspective, that very well may not be the top priority for that particular child. And I love, I think your school, uh, each child has a individualized plan for each day, correct? Based on the data. That's correct. We, we go through this evaluation process and then design a day. And then there's one teacher for every child. And as they've made, you know, as they close some of the gaps, wherever those uh, barriers have been, then there's the opportunity to go into small group instruction. But, but I think, and this is a little bit counterculture, right, into the uh, counterculture to the inclusion model, which I think there's a lot of great things about the inclusion model. But, but what I've also seen is if a child has some pretty significant challenges and we just put them in a classroom with other kids and hope that vicariously these, these, these barriers are going to, you know, heal themselves or like I haven't seen it happen. And so, so I am a little bit, uh, my approach is a bit different than that. Like I believe if, if you can carve out, if, if someone's lifespan, if we're lucky enough to live to be 80 years old, 85 years old, whatever, if we take a year, 18 months, two years, I have an 80 year lifespan and we do something different to try to build a foundation that the rest of the years of the life can be the best they can be, then that's why I believe putting a one-to-one targeted approach for some period of time just makes so much sense because that's the way that a, a student can actually, a child, a teenager, a young adult can get what they need. Um, And I really love what you said about the parents and the energy management. Um, It brought up a um, it brought up a a topic for me, which I was processing anyway this week, because, you know, often, um, you know, recently I was I was I was in what we call an evaluation meeting. When we go through an evaluation with a, a child, we 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 spend a good bit of time in the parent overview process, we call it, and then making sure that parents fully understand uh, what we believe a good plan would be, but 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 really why it matters. Because if you can understand why it matters, then you've got an impetus to shift some perspective to move forward. If you, if you just get a plan and you don't understand why it matters, then there's going to be less uh, energy put into the plan. And so we were talking through a child's anxiety level and some of the behaviors that they had adopted due to the, uh, due to the anxiety. And, and it got kind of goes back to what I said about myself uh, I realized early on that I woke up every morning and my set point was fear. And it was up to me to really be honest with myself about that. And so if we want to show up for our kids, 
and it's hard. It's hard to look in the mirror, you know, and to be honest with yourself about about the things that you feel like are are choices you've made that are choices you want to hang on to and put an energy into and move forward with. And maybe some choices, even if it's just thought pattern choices, right? Uh, you wake up and you and you think these things rather than these things. And then your mind spirals around those things. And once your mind starts to spiral around those things, your body starts to react to the thoughts that your mind is spiraling around. And so I will say, and I've said this uh, many times throughout my last 26, 27 years is I and it will sound cliche, but it is the honest to God truth that most of the things that I know, realize, hold dear and true for myself mm-hmm. as my own kind of center of strength, I only learned because of the process that I went through, you know, with my journey with Jacob, like the things the things that I hold dear now were because of the difficulties And so the difficulties in front of us, they can either be things that withdraw from our life. And so we're less than, or they can be things that build this internal sense of strength. There's a scripture that I love that says, after you have suffered for a while, I will perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. And no matter what your belief is spiritually, the words suffering apply to everyone, Uh, a process of perfecting and but especially establishing strengthening and settling like I write those words down often and I think gosh if today I don't feel established or I don't feel strengthened or I don't feel settled then what do I I need to stop for a moment that's where the pause comes in and I need to ask myself what's interfering with me feeling that sense of settledness in my moment, in my next decision, in the next step that I need to take, either for myself, for my children, for my staff, for my organization, uh, but to pause and and to realize when you're feeling that sense of settledness and strength versus when you're feeling a little shaky mm-hmm. and like okay something <laughs> something is amiss here, and uh, and it's funny that that's really important to me. But as I'm saying those words out loud, that's actually the core of the Hope School. It's actually we're teaching those children to know what it feels like to be settled on the inside and and to feel safe so that they can be at choice with their next decision, their next words, their next action, right? Their next interpersonal relationship. And um, and so only because the struggle had been so deep in my own life, would I even stop here and go, wait a minute. I see this in these children because I recognize it in myself, <laughs> that mm-hmm. sense of being a miss, right? I recognize it within myself and I still recognize that to this day, no matter how much I've worked on it, that I'm going to fall back into that trap over and over and over. If I'm not careful that something goes amiss on the inside, meaning I go back to fear or I go back to doubt or I go back to those things that don't really hold value if you want to be forward facing, they don't hold value. So, so to recognize it and then ask yourself what you want to do with it, what do you want to do with that? And, uh, and then make a conscious decision and, and, and move forward. And it's not a one and done, you know, sometimes we use that language with the kids one and done, but it is not a one and done Uh, in this regard. It's a, it's a perpetual, uh, decision to, uh, do your best to, 
to live that way. That's profound. Uh, and, and we are, as parents, especially, we are forged in fire. And the the things that we're not wanting the most and what feels so challenging, and I hear everything, I, I share everything that you mentioned, the fear, the anxiety, all those extreme emotions, um, these are all things that are shaping you. And it's it's hard to accept that, especially while it's happening. It's easier now for me to look back and say, hey, you know something? I never thought I'd say it, but it really is all a gift because it's all for some purpose that and when you're in the midst of it, you have no concept of what that purpose might be. And it will be revealed. And for me, I, I I feel like I know better what that might be, but it's always my guess. But I know that this is all happening for some reason. And and the hardest part is how we transform ourselves as parents, just like we're hoping our children have the environment and the guidance for them to make their own transformation, which again is, I think, what your school is all about with this concept of a child needs to feel safe. And so extra pressure and all these other things that are typical in schools won't work. Um, and the typical uh, school program teaching won't work. And so to meet the child where they are in such a comprehensive way is uh, is just phenomenal. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. And I agree with every, it's funny, we have a lot of uh, similarities in the way that we think. I appreciate your words a lot. Yeah, we think it's we we think we're alone. Like our that it's it's such a lonely, unique, but this is so shared. You know, we all parents, especially after a diagnosis like autism or anything of that nature, it's so easy to isolate and to feel alone. But no, we all are going through not the exact same journey, but the powerful emotions are similar. And um, and again, it's it goes back to energy feel the energy, feel the emotions, but then how are you channeling? Are you putting them towards something that's ultimately going to be useful for your child, which is what we all want as parents. And so, um, so yeah, if you look at it, it, all these things are just energy and how do we channel it in the best way possible? That's such a better strategy. It's a better strategy. And as you say those words, I think about looking at the, uh, the QEG analysis that I see every day, because the brain waves are energy and it's the same, the, the same analogy holds true. It's energy within the brain and it's the moments in the day that direct that energy to wire themselves towards a full brain, you know, full brain, whole brain response or a very singular response. And, um, and when I say singular response, I, I mean, so many kids come to mind and it's those, again, those perseverative patterns and things like that. But but uh, but yeah, it is it is an energy flow through the system. And you could take that further and say, I've watched kids here for years and we're very selective about the staff that we have um, because uh, primary factor number one is do we believe that this teacher provider can be knee to knee with a child and convey uh, a core belief of love, acceptance, safety, and I'm here for for you because but because these kids have a radar like no other, and they will immediately know: Are you for me? And you don't even have to be against me, but if you're apathetic toward me, uh, you're not going to move me forward. And that's just 
fact, you know, like we all need someone to walk alongside us, um, which is what you're saying, just in the community of parents, we, we don't have to be isolated, we, we need each other. And uh, we, we share a collective thread, even if the quilt as a whole looks a little bit different. No doubt, no doubt. So I know we've talked about your school, but just in terms of particulars, it's in Georgia, correct? It's in Georgia. And do you find it, are you only getting more regional uh, families or people moving across the country for your school? And and if you could talk a little bit more about, I mean, it's an impressive, uh, it's an impressive location. If you could talk a little bit more about what it's like. Oh, um, I'm, I'm really proud of it. And I feel really grateful that we have what we have. It's uh, we're located in Roswell, Georgia, which is uh, right outside the perimeter of Atlanta. And um, we have 15 acres uh, and, and kind of a sprawling campus that has alpacas and ponies and donkeys and goats and chickens and a therapy cat and a couple of therapy dogs. It's a, a real outdoor. We, I believe very firmly that kids need to be up outside in the sunshine, moving as much as possible we have tree houses and hammocks and all the trees. And 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 that was very intentional, not just because I love it, but because uh, I believe that to have a whole brain, whole body response uh, to healing and transformation, that you really need those types of activities to have a, a whole brain response. No doubt. And most of our kids sitting in a classroom all day, it just, it works against most of what I have found to be helpful. And so Again, I believe learning is very important. Academics is very important, but I also believe that those kinds of experiences are really critical as well. And so the campus is designed for that. Uh, We have about 150 children on the Roswell campus. We have a second location in in inside the perimeter of Atlanta uh, called our Buckhead location. And um, that location is doing the same thing that we're doing here in Roswell. It's intentional one on one time. And, um, and, and really the newest development for the IWBMC, which is the Interpersonal Harboring Model of Care, and you mentioned it in the opening, is, is AHAVA. And I think I'm, I'm, I'm really very excited. I'm passionate about all of it. I was going to say I think I'm most passionate, but the truth is I, I love it all and it all kind of works together. But, but AHAVA is a customized software platform that takes everything that I've ever known to be true and a lot of time from the, from our team here, just pouring into the best of the best of what we found to be meaningful and helpful for kids. And again, we serve autism, but also brain injury, stroke, rehabilitation, uh, rare genetic syndrome. So there's a wide range of uh, neurobiological disorders that we serve, but we've taken um, how we collect historical information from families and their child uh, all of the evaluation metrics that we've uh, designed over the years, we've built in the logic in this platform, over 4,000 interventions. When we input the truths for that one individual child, the logic will form what we believe would be the best intervention plan based on their unique design. And then there's a whole library, training library as part of the platform so that if a parent goes through that process, um, they can go and do all the learning that they need to do through the video instruction and written instruction. And our goal is really to take what we've done at Jacob's Ladder for over 20 years and make it accessible to anybody 
no matter where they may be. And uh, I really hope in the next two years that we are able, as I said earlier in this conversation, I, I know I'm very biased and I love what I love and other people really love what they love and, 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 and believe in it 100%. And I respect that based on what I've seen, based on my own personal experiences, based on thousands of kids, uh, I believe transformation is possible. I believe it happens because we know the most important factors and truths, I call them sometimes, uh, based on the reality of the metrics and what that child shows us. And, uh, and then I know that those metrics designed on paper and a plan are worthless unless there's somebody that comes alongside and picks that up and makes a decision that they're going to impact the life of another human being by delivering that with love and compassion and creating safety and connection for that child who needs it. And we built both the science plus the love. We built both of those aspects into a HAVA. And um, so that if someone goes through that training platform, they're fully versed either as a provider or an evaluator. There's two levels. There's actually three, a foundational, which is really for anyone who just wants general information. There's a provider level training. So if you want to work in the field and you want to work with children, um, you learn how to do that through that, that training mechanism. And then there, the highest level is to become an evaluator. And it's quite intensive because there's a lot of information there, but it's powerful information. And in uh, our team here at Roswell, you know, our we believe that our purpose uh, moving forward is to continue the work that we do hands on with children every day uh, for as long as we're able. And it's made possible for us to do that, which I think will be a long, long time. But then also to add a hava to it so that people, you know, if we want to reach people who need us, we need to build a mechanism to do that. And that's really what a hava is. It's a mechanism to take all that we know to be true and share it with people no matter where they may live. And, and hopefully uh, financial resources won't be a barrier for folks as well. Fantastic. I mean, incredibly unique, incredibly powerful. And so right now, still somewhat being created, but if somebody were to come to your school, they would benefit from all this, but you're working on trying to make it more accessible uh, to more people. And I think that's that's absolutely fantastic. Thank you very much. We're working hard. We're going to get it done. Ahava should be completed in the first part of 2023 and uh, training courses as well. And I didn't mention we have a certification process for people who go through the uh, nationally accredited certification process for that. So, so unique opportunities for parents if, you know, if they're in a position and just looking for information um, gets there. Wonderful. Well, we will be staying connected with you to see, uh, to, can, to be updated on progress. And in the meantime, people can go to uh, jacobsladdercenter.com uh, is the URL, but we'll include all appropriate links in the show notes. And Amy, this has been a delightful conversation and really truly inspiring work that you and your team are doing. So thank you again so much. Thank you. Thank you for the time. It's been an honor to be here again. Want to discover your top autism parenting blind spot? Take our free quiz today. Go to allinparent.com slash go.